Welcome back to Change It with me, Eloise Seidlin. I speak to change experts who are revolutionising the space. Today, I had the honour of speaking to author, lecturer, facilitator, CMI founder and all-round change connoisseur, Helen Campbell. It was quite scary, you know, it was put your money where your mouth is and you can do your best work partnering with the business, living with the business, helping with the business. It's not in the project. Helen reveals why the business is where you can help organisations change instead of delivering projects. Why being broad and shallow is the goal. Sending your fear out to sea. And why great change is invisible, but that's okay. This is a truly insightful episode. One which will inspire both leaders and up-and-comers in the change space to unleash and unlock your full potential in delivering and driving true transformative change. Welcome Helen Campbell to episode five of Change It. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks Eloise, lovely to be here. We've known each other for quite some time. I've always enjoyed giving you a call and getting your honest opinion on change and the problems that come with change and the various appreciations of it but for those that may not know of you yet please could you give an overview to the listeners of who you are and what you do oh goodness so Helen Campbell I've been in change management probably for about 20 years before that I did a bit of project management construction all sorts of things over the last 20 years I've done nothing but change it seems so co-founder of the change management institute which we're very proud of along with Caroline Perkins and the team that helped set that up back in 2004 six whenever it was I developed the CMI accreditation and ran that for a few years and was on the board for a while uh, my professional life is consulting, so I've worked across dozens of organisations doing all sorts of stuff, changey stuff. I teach a little bit at Macquarie, I've written a, a book, I've co-authored another one. Yeah, so if you cut me through the middle, it says change, definitely. <laughs> um, so talk to us then, in terms of the consulting work that you've been doing, that is to businesses looking to embark on change journey what kind of businesses are you consulting to and and positively impacting Helen yeah there's probably two sides so I've always done fairly short-term part-time consulting I've done a couple of big meaty roles but I two probably two scenarios that they tend to phone me one is they're in trouble something's gone horribly wrong <laughs> and they want to get out of it and they don't know what to do and it might be a variety of pickles that they find themselves in but yeah when they're in a bit of a pickle they don't know what else to do they tend to get on the phone to me and the other one organizations that are in a slightly more controlled situation they've sort of heard about change management maybe one or two people have come into the organization that have seen it elsewhere but they don't really know what it is. They don't really know where it fits. They don't really know if they need it. They don't really know what it looks like. And they're a bit, you know, a bit unsure. So again, they call me in really to say, we think we need one of these, but we don't know what it is. Can you help us understand it? So I might spend three or four months with that business, finding out what it is they're trying to achieve, looking at the level of capability they've got currently. And my going in premise is always, can you do without a change manager? I mean, it seems like sacri- you know, quite, quite sacrilegious given our profession. But for a business to immediately find a problem and then find somebody else to fix it, I'm always a little suspicious. So I first want them to navel gaze and work out what is it about their own, their own capability that means that they can't solve the problem on their own. And do they just need it because everybody else has got one? Or do they need it because their particular change agenda and the landscape in their organisation means that they start, they've, they've now 
got to a stage where they need slightly more specialised help to get them from one day to the next, from one state to the next. And to ascertain that, which part of the business are you working with? I had a bit of a aha moment. Back in 2010, I'd just finished a big programme and I worked really closely with a leader in the business. And during the last year of that programme, I experienced all the frustrations that we all feel when we're stuck in a project and we're looking across across the fence. We're trying to support a business that doesn't want us, doesn't thinks they don't need us, doesn't understand what we do, and it can sometimes be hard to break in and actually get allied to the people we're trying to help. And so mm-hmm. I'd felt that frustration in that in that big program. But because I've worked really closely with a leader in the business who did get it who did want it, he said, well, why don't you come across to the business and I'll, I'll, I'll give you 12 months and see what you can do. So again, one of those beautiful moments in your career where you just say, thank you universe for this opportunity. It was quite scary. You know, it was put your money where your mouth is. You say you want to get in the business. Now here, you are. here's the, and it was one of the banks and it was the whole retail network. So it was certainly a, a wonderful playground to, to, to go and practice what I thought I could do. And so That was the moment when I went into the business. I spent 12 months working on the business side and really shaping up the business because the business were sort of passive observers and then active rejectors. So they didn't want to be involved in a project. They didn't want anything to do with it. They don't really want all that stuff that you do, all those comms plans, all those impact assessments. They don't, they're really quite busy, you know, got a bank to run, you know. So, and then when you went to try and do your interventions, you know, you tried to help them, try to close the knowledge gap or the skill gap or whatever gap it is you're trying to fill. Then they'd be, oh, we don't like this, we don't like the colour and we don't like this and we don't want it like that and we want it like this. So I would say they were sort of passive observers for, for you know, 11 months of the year and then active resistors when, as soon as you go and try and go live with anything. So my mission was to go and work on the business side to say, these people are doing this for you. They're coming. This plane is going to land on your runway. What you've got to do is make sure your runway is okay. And I strongly suggest that whilst you're busy, you get a bit closer to this project because you need to take an interest in what they're building because when it's coming into land, it's too late to do anything about it. So spent a year building that capability on the business side. That convinced me that that's where my magic needed to be. You know, I'd love the work in programs for the 10 years before that, but this was where I could help organisations change instead of help deliver a project, which was clearly, you know, and anyone who's been in projects for a while always gets that frustrated. It's like you really want to go and work on the train set, not... And I sit on the side and, and just cycle through the organisation. So, yes, it was 2010. A guy called Kevin Boucher, for anyone that knows him, wonderful, wonderful human, who said, well, come on over and put your, put your money where your mouth is. So, and ever since, I've worked in business teams. Well, what's fascinating about that as well is that a lot of people would assume if you are based in the business that you might be a permanent person doing BAU work rather than a contract person were you in there for 12 months in a contract capacity and the work that you're doing presumably is consulting in a contract capacity yeah it's, it's a good question I always say if I get into a box on an org chart I've been there too long I was never in a box <laughs> on an org chart so I managed to preserve my my independence for that for that 12 months but on the ground I looked and felt like one of the team but I had a reporting line that I needed without it appearing on an org chart and it meant that I could get in and do the work that I could do. Tell me what you want to achieve. I'll work my guts out to make you, to make you achieve it. But you have to get out. Of my, you have to get out of my way. And Kevin was just one of the most you know wonderful leaders I've got to work with. Who who cut me the slack to do that. 
presumably there are some questions and tools that you utilize to, to ascertain, you know, are they ready for change? Is change required? Are you able to, to impart and share some of those for people listening to you? Yeah, so because I tend to get the call, the first thing I want to know is why did you call me? Once you've got that, and I do a lot of listening to the people who were involved in that decision to even call me, so that I get where their heads are coming from. Once that's done and I've built a bit of rapport, then it's about asking some of the questions. So the questions are, you know, what is what does your change agenda look like? You know, are you changing much or is it getting faster? You know, you're doing more changes. Are the changes getting more complicated? Because most of the organisations I work with are just reaching that point where they've gone from one or two serial changes that they've cobbled their way through. Been a bit lumpy, been a bit painful at times, but they've managed, you know, nothing, nothing's perfect. And they sort of got to a point where either the complexity or volume of change and or the landscape has changed so that they can see a bit of a road crash up ahead. Well, first thing I say is, so when you play me the movie of your future, what is, you know, what, what are people thinking, knowing and doing in the future that they're not doing now? Oh, well, they're caring more about the customer. Okay, you know, they're using these new systems. They're following all these processes, whatever it is. That's the vision of the future. Now, quite often they haven't got that vision. They sort of build it as they're, as they're talking to me. And then you say, so what's the gap? So what's the gap you've got to fill from what you've got today to where you want them to be in different horizons? And can you fill that gap without any help? You've got comms people, you've got training people, perhaps you've got good governance, perhaps you've got all sorts of things in, already in your toolkit and already in your organisation. So when you look at that gap, have you got the skills to fill that gap? And then have you got the will to fill that gap? So if you look at individual stakeholder groups within and partnering with your organisation, do they have the skills to just tomorrow flick a switch and do what you need them to do? They've already got it. And do they have the will? Is it a compelling enough future that actually they just want to do it? So they don't need any form of persuasion. They don't need any leadership levers. They don't need any of that reinforcing stuff because it's so great they'll go there anyway. Because if you've already got the will and the skill to get where you want to go, then you don't need to change manager. When you look at the gap, what is the gap? If it's information, just get some really good comms people. Or if you've got a really good comms team, just use them. If it's a skill gap and it's a technical skill, use your learning and development team. You know, these people are really good at learning and development. If it's a bit more amorphous and you want them to think differently and you want to, you want them to adopt a, a different set of beliefs. So let's say, you know, you've been totally focused on product and now you want them to totally focus on the customer. Well, that's a much more complex change to bring about because you've rewarded one focus and you've got to create another. And so that's more complicated. Your comms team aren't going to be able to tackle that on their own. The learning and development team aren't going to be able to tackle that on their own. HR business partners are not going to be able to tackle that on their own. The leaders have been rewarded for the old environment, the old beliefs, the old capability, the old motivation. So they are very unlikely to be able to flick a switch and suddenly just take everyone off in a different direction. So. You know, when I'm listening to those stories, I see a gap opening up. That's where I can start to articulate where a change manager might be useful. So if you've got a big shift in beliefs, that's a complex change. And it might help to have someone who's not in the stew 
helping you to identify what some of the things are that will help that shift in thinking and what some of the things are that are reinforcing the old ways. Purely because somebody who comes in from you know the outside of that scenario can often see things much more clearly, obviously, than when you're in there. So understanding what gap they're dealing with. And, and you know what it's like, you always tailor for your audience. So if an, if if an organisation loves risk and they talk risk all the time, then we, we do it, you know, we as change managers do it with risk. And we say, well, it's a risk-based approach. You know, you're managing risk because they're risk to your benefits and risk to your whatever. But, but what we're talking about always is there's a gap between what I've got and what I want. And can I get there with everything I've already got today? And if I can't, I'll probably need something else. And is that something else a change manager? Now, it, it might not be, and I'm always really open to the fact it might not be. So once they come to a realisation that there is a gap that can't be met by what they do today, then they start to open up to possibilities of what else could we do, what might that look like, what might that person look like, what would they need to achieve, and what do we need to do as an organisation to make that work? The other thing that you're calling out to them there through their own answer and response to you is the delineation between training comms and change and their expectations of those. Because so often I bet businesses are going, I need some really good messaging going to audiences. Yeah, I mean, we still get the old, you know, change must be training and comms. And look, you know, we're not bad at comms, we're not bad at training, but we're nowhere near as good as the specialists. So I always say, you know, I can do you a bit of comms, I'm not very good at it. I can do you a bit of training, but I'm not very good at it. You know, but there is, and, and we so often hear, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, this good change is invisible. I, I, I sort of agree because... <laughs> And it's a bit of a loaded term now when you think when you think it through. So I try not to overanalyze the statement. But the bit they see is the comms and training. They see the email, the 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 can of coke or the t-shirt, as someone used to call it for me. You know, that's the stuff that they see. The stuff that works the magic is generally the little levers that you're pulling invisibly. They're not the great big showy, you know, yes, you do a town hall, but how do you do that town hall and what's the narrative and how do you coach a leader to be an authentic leader that's going to take you to a compelling future? You know, that's very different to, well, I've given the bloke the talking points and, you know, he's on his own. And so the invisible bit, the secret sauce that change managers so often add is actually the stuff that can help create the magic. You can put a leader up there with talking points, he can follow them, and you, he, she, and you can just hope that they do a reasonably good job. But as we know, the words are only 7% of the message. So you've just controlled 7% of the message, and the leader has controlled the other 93%. So whereas a change manager in that mix sits down with the leader, does the rehearsing, knows what the symbols are, knows what the signals are that that leader needs to send in terms of tone of voice, in terms of authenticity, in terms of body language, and works them so that whatever that intervention is from that leader in their five-minute slot actually does an awful lot more than just convey some words. You know, it conveys the, the, the emotion, and this is always the impossible bit. It manages to do it in a way that means the leader remains authentic, which is really really hard because if you've got an unemotional leader and 
you want them to convey a level of emotion, that can be a huge challenge. And then if they try to do it, it can sometimes come across as a bit inauthentic. So it's a difficult balancing act. But yeah, give them the key messages, leave them on their own, change manager works that invisible magic behind the scenes. And that is where that that term so frequently coined from changing mindsets to heart sets is like, that is that sweet source space of like, if you're talking about the scenario you gave, changing someone from being driven to product to customer is such a huge transformation internally that you can't necessarily like measure the metrics of that over a day, of course, because it takes a real chunk of time and coaching. And like you say, those softer continual messages that need to be authentic. And so you had this conversation, you've got under the bonnet and it's, a skills will, but also a, a real transformative change, you know, from product to customer, we'll stick with that scenario, and change is required. Where do you go from there with the business? So once they believe they need it, they are comfortable and willing to spend money on it, then it's about starting to scope out what they need. So some of that is technical. Obviously, you know, if you've want to roll out something small and you know impact assessment change plan bit of comms and training and a bit of leadership support will do the job that's a fairly straightforward change role um, mm. if it's more transformative one of the things i'm always looking at is who are going to be their partners in the business so what is your comms capability what is your hr capability what is the learning capability so what's the team they're going to be a part of that is going to help close that gap so what is it that function needs to do? And is there appetite from the leaders? Because if so, if you want someone that's going to go out and work 50% of their time with the leaders in the business, then you not only need somebody with the sort of skills and experience to do that, but also the appetite and the influence to be able to do that. Because that's not a straightforward thing that often we were able to do early in our career. That takes a bit of you know, a trial and error as you go along. And in these greenfield organisations, you need to be really adaptable because unlike a mature organisation where you might go in to coach a leader, they sort of know what you do. They sort of know, they sort of believe in it. Whereas in the greenfield organisations, they've got nothing. So you can't mm-hmm. use any language, any jargon, any anything. And you go mm-hmm. in and really what you're doing is replicating again at the leadership level the conversation you've had at the top level. So scoping out that role is really getting, again, their view on what are some of the outcomes they need that person to deliver on. Because what you're then doing really is crafting the KPIs for the function or the team or the individual. So what outcomes are they on the hook for and what are the role boundaries? So where are they going to go? Where are they going to hand over? What does that look like? That starts to scope out where their appetite is. And I won't suggest anything that isn't within their appetite. So understanding their appetite is really important. If they've got the appetite for a junior role, then we'll say, okay, well, here's where you could put a junior role and it could add some of the value. That fills 10% of your gap. You've still got the 90% and this is what that doesn't do. So perhaps we can sort of coach and train your HR business partners and that'll fill another little bit of the gap. You've been planning on upgrading your comms team. So actually you could upgrade the comms team and that would fill another 20%. So you're starting to fill the gap a little bit more. I will always say, if I think there's a need for a heavy-hitting change person to work in the business, I'll always say so. But if they start to wriggle and squirm, I'll back off. So often what I'm trying to do is to scope out 
the range of options that they could use that would fill some or all of the gap that they've identified. And there's a couple of things in there that are like very, very different lenses that you are sharing. Uh, and I'm certainly sure that listeners will look at that through a kind of like new view, which is that really partnering with a business to diagnose their need and their expectations from change. A lot of the time when I speak to people, they're focusing purely on the project and this this project space and the norming, forming, storming and what's going on here. But what you're talking to for this change success is really partnering and fleshing out the SMART goal with the business in terms of their expectations, their gaps. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this goes back to that sort of aha moment I had 12 years ago. We're changing the business and some of the tensions that I know change managers feel is you feel like you don't belong anywhere you sit in the project you don't really sort of look and feel like a project person you don't really look and feel like a business person and you hang out in sort of no man's land somewhere in between you want to help the business but they don't really love you or understand you you know you operate differently to the to the project and so you don't really belong in there I do think you know I always say a good change manager spends one day at their desk and four days out in the business uh that can be, you know, sometimes judged by the project manager or the project environment as somehow wrong, threatening, you know, you're not allowed to go and talk to stakeholders. I mean, how ridiculous, you know, it's like telling a doctor you can't talk to your patients. I mean, it's it's crazy. But that project environment can be very distracting. And I think that was that sense of frustration that I had, to, you know, by the time I'd finished in that big program, is that you never get to be where you think you can do your best work. And you can do your best work partnering with the business, living with the business, helping with the business. It's not in the project. There's some stuff that needs doing. I get that. There's some, you know, things that need ticking off and some tools and things that we use in projects to help us make the progress. But, you know, if you're a change person at heart, you want to change the world and you want to start by changing an organisation or a part of an organisation. And so you need to be in the business to do that. It's been interesting over the last 20 years watching our profession develop and to look at how the project roles have developed. It's been interesting watching mature organisations. If you look at the CMI maturity model, you've, you've got, you know, a lot of those mature organisations have got stuck at the project level. You know, they haven't grown so much into the business and into the organisation levels because they've invested heavily in sort of tools and templates and projects. And I know speaking to some people who've sort of broken out of that environment, they've had to leave that organisation in order to go and work in the business because in those mature organizations some of them you're in a bit of a treadmill you get into projects that's where change management roles are these are the tools you use these are the things you say these are the things you do and actually if you've got a passion for change in the business it's never a comfortable place for you to be being able to work with the people that you're trying to help with the business that you're trying to change should be if the business creates an environment where you can do your best work you'll always do better in the business than you will sitting on the outside of the business in a project which is a huge huge change in lens and certainly in terms of what we're kind of seeing in the market and people are focusing on and I'm sure that people out there in their heart of hearts know this but like you say it can be quite daunting to make the business your sole focus as well because you've got your change team and your project team where you feel a sense of belonging the other thing I was going to ask you is 
for for someone that's more junior in change that is listening to this today and thinking, yeah, I really want to win over the business and I want to do right by my business, get the buy-in by them, and then I can really start rolling out some successful change. Mm-hmm. You often hear and see them wanting to please the business, you know, like I know you're tall or I know your technology, I I'm gonna become an expert in that for you and that way you'll trust me, I'll become your trusted advisor. It doesn't sound like you're doing that. The conversations you're having are very different to let me be an expert in the tool. What what advice would you give that person? I think there's a couple of couple of aspects to that. One is, who are you in your soul? Are you an expert or are you a process facilitator? So anyone who's familiar with the work of Ed Shine, love Ed Shine. You know, he has this concept of you are generally either an expert or a facilitator, a process person. I happen to be a born facilitator. I am not interested in the content. I don't care what your system does. I don't care what button you have to press. And being naturally disinterested in the content, I'm much more interested in the process. So I think for anyone coming into change, test it. I tried a bit of projects. I tried a, a bit of expert stuff, a bit of a bit of process stuff. And to a certain extent, there's no substitute for trying everything you possibly can and getting a good feel for when am I at my best, when am I thriving, and when am I not, and really understanding that and taking action quickly. Like if you're doing something that you're not enjoying and you're not thriving, I know there's all sorts of risky things that go on and your amygdala goes nuts with your fight or flight, but flipping heck, if you're not enjoying it and you're not doing your best work and you're not thriving, go and do something else. Being like the business is not your goal as a change manager. Being complementary to the business and walking shoulder to shoulder with that business to help them get where they're going to go, that's your role as a change manager. Now, you know, whilst there is some sort of compassion and care, this is not a Miss Universe type of thing. This is not, I want to work with children and animals and I want to do good by people. So as a junior person, I always think, put yourself in an older head. If you were that person, what is it they need? What is it they want? And can you offer them that? And if you can't, it doesn't matter. You know, sooner or later, there'll be someone you can help and something you can do. So definitely understanding what your value is, what you can offer. There is no substitute for a human connection and we're not, you know, we're not good and in fact all the science says we're getting worse at making human connections. Just going out and talking to people and saying, look, I'm a change manager, this is what I do, but I'm just struggling a bit to work out where I can add the most value. Do you mind if I just spend five minutes with you and ask you a few questions about how you, you know, how you're seeing the change or... And you're starting to build those relationships. And we know, and this is where not having the corridor conversations for the last few years has driven, certainly driven me nuts. We know it's about those human connections and we know it's about being able to ask questions. And then you get seen to be the trusted advisor by the business. It's not about being like them. It's not about knowing what they know. It's about offering something complimentary that meets a need in them. And to do that, you have to be in the business, understanding what the needs are. You have to know what you can offer and what you can't. You know, if I get a phone call and uh, somebody wants really sort of governance or process or a toolkit or whatever, I say that's not where I add value. I'm not good at that. So knowing, being able to understand what their need is, knowing what you offer, and then just getting rid of the fear and the barriers. Goodness me, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. You know, fear is the most useless emotion you can possibly 
have because it gets in the way of everything. And so you do just need to put that in a box, send it out to sea and, and try stuff. The more you try, the more you'll know what works and what doesn't. But sitting saying, oh, what if they don't like me? Mm. What, if they don't, what if they find out I can't work the system? I can't work the system. That's not my job to work the system. It's not my job to know what buttons to press. I can't be a better change manager by knowing how to work the system. I can be a better change manager by understanding where the current levels of confidence and capability are in the business. I still don't need to know how to use the system. So refreshing. And I think so reassuring for people to hear that message because I guess in that fight or flight scenario, you revert to potentially, you know, something within you, like you say, what, if you are that person that's a people pleaser, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get your buy-in by being everything you want me to be rather than going back to educating on who I am and what I do and what my role is. Mm. And that's really dangerous for the profession and, and skewed expectations, particularly if in, in your case, like you're saying, you're going into greenfield sites that don't know yet what their expectation from change is. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point, actually, because if you are straying into those areas that are not core to your role as a change manager, you are setting expectations for the next person that comes along. So one of the big issues we have in our profession is the fact that, you know, you order a change manager and you get everything from soup to salad. It, 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 you know, no one really knows what a change manager is because we all look and feel so different. And if some of that is because we're being led into areas that aren't core to what we do, so if you do go and learn the ins and outs of the system, the next time they buy a change manager, they'll be expecting someone who gets to the ins and outs of the system. And then they'll see they're not getting what they paid for because, you know, you're not doing... And then that poor change manager gets dragged into understanding the system and then we've morphed the profession again. But I do think mm -hmm. it's really important to understand the value that you add, what you do and what you don't do. And you've got to get that clear. And that takes a little while because that's really about, you know, experiencing those things, working out what you're good at, working out what the role can do, what the role should do, you know, what you're really on the hook for. And a level of thinking that is rarely applied. You know, you get in, you've got a job, you can pay the mortgage, thank goodness for that. You know, and you tend to just get in and, and morph to fit in with the team. And if that means that you do a bit of, you know, you get to know the system or it means that you drop some of the, the, the standards that you would normally have around the way that you work. You know, well, you know, the program director's a bit nervous about me talking to the senior leadership team, so I probably won't do it. Well, you just compromise the, you know, the, the quality of your output. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because owning, I, I suppose, as you become more experienced and talk, you're talking to, knowing what that value that you can add and owning that is huge. And I suppose suppose in terms of different walks and change managers as we frequently talked about coming from all different sorts of backgrounds it doesn't there isn't a one-size-fits-all you, you yeah absolutely and I think yeah. I mean th there are other professions that have this same issue I mean you could say that somebody's a doctor now it could be anyone from a St John's ambulance first aider to a you know 40-year cardiac surgeon and, and they're still all called doctor so some of it is slightly inevitable but I do think you know because there is such a variety of expectations, as a practitioner, it is important that you articulate what you're good at, where you add value. And then you can use that lens when you are looking for roles and also to sort the wheat from the chaff. So if you get into something thinking the environment was going to be right for you, that you could do your best work, and you find out it's not, you've sort of got the criteria in your head. You've also got the confidence that you can add value, but just not in that environment. You know, there are certain environments that I, where I thrive and do my greatest work, and there are certain environments 
that I do a disgraceful job. You know, I walked, walked away from one mm. a, a few years ago where, unfortunately, unlike all my jobs, someone calls me and they want me to be there. This was actually one where the, the I was given to somebody, one of these situations where somebody said they needed a change manager, and the environment wasn't right for me. The environment wasn't one that I could thrive in, and I was probably delivering about 20% of the normal value. Now, you know, after 20 years, I very quickly knew that something wasn't quite right, that I wasn't getting the traction I would normally get, and I wasn't delivering the value I would normally be delivering, you know, two or three months into a, a, a big program. Now, another change practitioner would thrive in that environment. It just wasn't the right one for me. And because I'm lucky and I've done a few of these, I've got enough case studies in my head to go, this one doesn't look like this one. It does look like this one. This one was a big mistake, probably stayed too long. So I'm going to move out of this one and let somebody else take it. And I'm going to help them scope out the type of change person that would be able to operate well in that environment. And I just know that I can't. So I stepped away. Now that requires a, gr a great deal of confidence, but also experience, to your point. I mean, what does the change manager that doesn't have that experience do in that situation? I imagine they plough on and it becomes soul-destroying. You know, I, I don't know whether of, I would it, have the confidence in that. No, it's a good point. And some of this is down to levels of fear. So it's really hard to back mm. yourself when you've got doubts. You know, where you've, well, I haven't been doing it long. And, you know, and you've got that long. And change managers, I don't know, across the, some other professions don't seem to have this anywhere near the spades that, that change managers do. You know, the level of self-doubt, well, perhaps because I don't really know what the role is. And if they say they want me to do this, perhaps I should do that. I don't know how to do it. So I'll go and do a training course and learn how to do that. And all of a sudden, you've, there's, there's no magic bullet for it. I remember there was a moment for me when I was 28 where I realised that fear was a complete waste of time. But all it did was get in the way of you having a good time. And uh, if you ever spotted it coming, the best thing to do was to bat it back out to sea because it wasn't going to help. I also, I know, have a, a slightly cranky personality that is less patient with things that aren't going to get us where we need to be. And so some of that is personality. Mm -hmm. But I know when you're starting out, you know, you're grateful for the role. You, you, you tend to assume, and change managers are a bit like this, you know, you tend to assume it's you that's, that's wrong, you that's not right. It's, it's a human thing. We always go personal first. The... It's really hard because it is a life skill, but you know, if you can possibly assume that you're okay, that you're good at what you do, that on this one occasion or this one client, one project, whatever it is, something's not quite right, cut yourself some slack. Everything is a combination. It's just like change. Everything is a combination of you and the environment that you're in. It's possibly elements mm -hmm. of both that mean you're not necessarily doing your best work. And being able to step away from, it's all about me and I'm doing a terrible job, to be able to look objectively at you, what you're doing and what, how you're showing up and the environment that you're in and what it is about that that's helping and hindering your best work, if you can get a bit analytical about it, that will help you start to build some of that sort of knowledge base that in the future you'll say, oh, I know I need to look for this in an environment. You know, I know I need to ask this question when I go for a job because my experience tells me that I do my best work when this is the case and this isn't the case. But as I say, there's no real substitute for experience other than uh, the only other part really is, you know, when I found myself in an environment where I'm not doing my best work, I've probably gone from taking nine months to get out to about three months. I think I've got much better at spotting the signs and doing something about it 
and assuming that it's probably something about me, it's something about the environment, but either way, it's not a good match and we'd all be much happier if we moved on and I always make sure that I leave a legacy of helping them understand what it is that might work for them because I didn't. I mean that compatibility and change is key. It's really it's interesting because I had Katia de Vim on the podcast in, in season one actually and she talked quite strongly about the five different types of change and how we need to kind of start being more aware of, you know, you might have your kind of more black and white style change, like your risk programs, or then you might have a culture change. And that there are people that are really good at, say, technology change, which is another one, which is more process orientated. And then there are people that are really good at culture change and honing in on what is the one that, or two or three, that you're really good at, and own that which really works nicely to your point in terms of like, yeah, own that and target those roles, partner with, say, a recruiter who's going to find those roles for you. But you can't be one size fits all in this space because because no one can in anything. I think that's really true. I think you you really, you, you have to know where you play. And I'm very conscious of where I don't play. One of the things that I've, I've spotted with our profession is change managers expect to be able to go and coach leaders like tomorrow but that's another skill set that's another skill set that we have to build so if you're doing impact assessments and change plans yes it would be great if you could go and support and coach leaders but there's a whole load of personal and technical you know skills and traits that you need to build before you can go and do that so to be saying you know a change manager might come to me if i'm working in it as part of a practice and say, you know, I want to do operating model work. Okay, so have you got the skills and experience? No, I just think it looks interesting. Well, you know, I think winning Wimbledon looks interesting, but, you know, I probably have to do a bit of work before I can do it. So, again, as change managers, we've got to be realistic about the fact that we do, we are sort of beginners at lots of things, and that's where we're good. You know, we're good at connecting, we're good at going shallow and broad, and we're good at doing bits of stuff, identifying needs, and then referring out to the experts when we need it. As you morph your career from perhaps, you know, this sort of standard change management role, you're on a project, you're doing impact assessments and change plans, you're, you're working on one change, and you start to find the bits that you're interested in. When you're morphing, be aware of the boundaries. Are you actually becoming a coach? Are you actually becoming a learning and development or a comms professional? Are you actually treading into OD? And to be aware of where those boundaries are, that's where you may find that you've morphed into something else. You know, have you gone from being a worker bee to being more of an advisor? Now, you don't just wake up one morning and become an advisor, but you pursue the work that you love and that lights your fire and lights your soul. And then you might find that you've become a leadership coach. It just happens to be you're a leadership coach in the context of a big organisational change. Or it could be that you've become, you know, interested in culture. And so what you've become is more of a sort of culture person. You're not necessarily a change person. That you've actually drifted into one of the specialisms. And as practitioners, it's important for us to know that. And also to know that we are amateurs at everything. You know, if we're doing a good job, we know a bit of culture, a bit of L&D, a bit of OD, a bit of training... And that's the value that we add. If we start getting too interested in one pillar, we may actually have morphed ourselves into something that isn't change. 
which I think is also behind why we have some of these problems with a change manager looks different depending on what day of the week it is. Yeah, that is so insightful and so refreshing because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, there are people who are at danger at honing into one and then you lose that breadth, shallow and broad. Very refreshing. Thank I you. think it also plays to some of the tensions that we have sometimes with the specialist functions. You know, I think we've all experienced cranky comms teams who think you're trading on their toes and cranky L&D teams who, you know, don't want to work on the project, but they don't want you organising training either. And we've all had that because I think there are times when we look as if we're going to do a bit of L&D or we look as if we're going to do a bit of comms. And so it's really important. The partnerships that we have with those other functions are really important often they don't have project experience so we can help them with that but we have to respect the fact that we cut across a bunch of disciplines that people have dedicated their lives to building skills and careers in and they're flipping good at it so building those partnerships mm -hmm. with those people helps to helps takes the pressure off of us i don't have to be a comms expert a training expert a culture expert a leadership expert of course you don't you, you'd be a lousy change manager if you felt you had to deep dive into all of those and just knowing that actually it's that thin layer across the top i know enough to identify needs i know enough to identify the need for an intervention i might know enough to know roughly what that intervention looks like but now I need to partner with a much broader range of professionals in order to build the best interventions possible. It's a really good call out because when we talk about the frustrations of change being so commonly coined comms and training, it must really insult those professionals, like you say, that have carved out a career and dedicated their lives to those professions and are true specialists. But you often overlook that it probably is insulting that profession as well as the change profession because they are two different buckets or three different buckets. Yeah, and just because they haven't worked in projects before. So quite often a lot of the comms and training teams that I'm working with, they've done business as usual and they haven't done projects because they've just never been asked to do it. And it's it's not much of a leap from one to the other, but a little bit of sort of hand-holding for those teams can help them build a whole new skill set. But yeah, these are other people's professions. We should respect that. At the heart of that, you really have helped the, the narrative around change professionals driving value to their business with change and, and ultimately that leads to successful change stories. For you, Helen, as a thought leader in the change space, as someone that's crafted a career, like you said, if you were cut in the middle, it would be change. What advice would you give to change professionals today who are seeking out to pursue a long career in the change field. Yeah, and that could question. be both junior, it could be different messages for, for leaders in change that are listening to the podcast from that leadership, leading a team of change professionals or people that are you know, breaking into change or a couple of years in the space, as I'm sure we've got both sets of audiences listening to. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, nowadays when you're supposed to have five careers in your lifetime, I think if you work in change, you can probably manage those five careers and stay in change because there are so many opportunities. So, you know, if you're in change, well done, thank you, and have a fantastic time. It's an awesome profession to be in. I, I absolutely love it, and I love the fact that my career has morphed into all sorts of exciting opportunities over 20 years. It's a fab place to be. I think if you're starting, my thought would be, and obviously it's difficult, uh, generic, generic suggestions is always, is always tough, but get that variety. You know, try lots of things. Try different roles. Try different types of projects. 
you know, put, put your fear in a box and send it out to say, you know, give stuff a crack. Go and talk to the business. You know, go and see what you want to do. Find out what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Find out what makes your heart sing and what doesn't. And leave behind the stuff that doesn't. And, and really reflect as objectively as you can on that because that will make sure that you know what you're good at and what we're good at, we do more of. And what we do more of, we get better at. And the better we get at it, the more we love it. So the more you can really clearly identify the environments that you love, the types of things you like doing in you know during the course of the day, the clearer you're going to be about what you need to create for yourself in order to have a good time at work and to add your maximum value. I think to the senior practitioners, you know already you have an important role to play. We are still sometimes able to help at a more strategic level. We are sometimes not able to help at a more strategic level. It's not a well-defined role. I don't know if that matters. I don't know if it'll ever get more refined. But I think your role as an advocate for organisational change, for evolution over revolution in businesses, your role outside of your day job has always been really important. And we have been so blessed with some amazing senior change leaders. You know, I've got a list of names going through my head, but I won't name them because I'm bound to miss somebody out. But we have been blessed with some really amazing senior change people who are influencers, movers and shakers, and have always worked outside of their day job on the sort of promotion of change management and organisational change capability, the maturity in organisations and the maturity of the profession. And that is absolutely your role. If you're one of the senior guardians in this profession, that is your role outside of the fact, I know you've got to go to work and you've got to pay the mortgage, but you've got a much more important role to play as an advocate and guardian of our profession. Thank you. I mean, that leads me nicely to say thank you for the great work that you continue to do in this space as the author of an incredible book but also through CMI through the coaching through the facilitation of talks your lecturing and, and for being on the podcast today the message that you give and the wisdom that you impart to the space is so so important and there's some huge value that you've just provided there for people to listen to thank you so much Helen always a pleasure it's a pleasure thanks very much Eloise Hey, it's Eloise. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I'd really appreciate it if you'd pop over to the podcast app that you're listening to this on and leave a review and rating. It really helps increase the coverage and awareness of the show and ensures that I can get the best possible speakers. I also love listening to your comments and feedback, which inspire and inform future episodes. Thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you back here soon.